0: We're in John 10, 1 through 10. When I was a freshman in high school, my freshman English teacher was Mrs. Flora Zaruba. My friend Scott's mother was my English teacher. One day she assigned us a short story written by a guy named Frank Stockton called The Lady or the Tiger. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Anybody else have that story in high school? Okay, me and one other person, ah, we're, we're good. But so um, I will sum this up for you. You can look it up. It's, it's available for free online if you wanna read it. I read it this week just to remind myself of it. But in the story, uh, it's, it's about a, a land long time ago, far, far away, a king who was a little barbaric and quite eccentric, who believed that the best way to gain justice in any criminal trial is what you call trial by ordeal. So this is what it would look like. If a man was accused of a crime, he would be brought to an arena and the the arena would be full of his fellow citizens watching to see what happened. And the king believed that if whatever gods that existed knew this man was innocent, then he would make the right choice because in that arena, there were two doors. Uh, Below the stands, there were these two doors. Behind one door was a ferocious, hungry tiger. If he opened that door... The tiger would leap out and tear him to bits and consume him in front of everyone. Behind the other door was a beautiful lady and it was a different lady every time. The king, believing that, again, if this man was innocent, the gods would want him to be rewarded for being falsely accused. So the king would scour the kingdom to find a a, a lady of beauty and grace who would be suited to this particular accused person. So either way, you were going to see somebody get killed or somebody get married, right? It was going to be a show one way or another. So people would come for these trials. Now, in the story, the king discovers that a commoner, a non-royal person, a member of his own court, has fallen in love with the king's daughter, the princess, the oldest child of his family. And so he's indignant. How dare you? Uh, Fall in love with and make overtures toward my daughter without my permission. And so this man is arrested and he's brought to the arena to be put to trial. Meantime, his beloved, the the princess, finds out which door the tiger is behind. And on the day of the trial, the man walks out into the arena and everyone gasps because he's just this tall, striking, handsome guy, just looks like a great person. And they don't want to see him die at the same time. They want to see what happens. As he approaches the two doors, he looks up into the stands and he makes eye contact with the princess herself. And he sees her point one direction or the other, give a little signal saying, okay, you should choose this door. And that's how the story ends. It ends on a cliffhanger. What the author tells us is that the princess had discovered not only which door contained the tiger and which contained the lady, she would discovered what lady the king had chosen. It happened to be a lady that she couldn't stand because she had seen this young lady, who, by the way, was every bit as beautiful as her, if not more so, had seen this lady in the court flirting with her beloved and him flirting back. And so she had to make a choice. Do I love this man enough that I would be content to see him happy in the arms of someone I hate? Or is my jealousy going to take over and I'm going to let him be consumed so that no one can have him if I can't? On the other hand, the young man has a choice to make too. Does he trust this woman, this princess? He knows how jealous, how temperamental she can be. He also believes she loves him. Does she love him enough? Does he trust in her? Does he open the door that she points to? And the story ends at that point. And Mrs. Zeruba gave us a, an assignment. She said, I want you to write an ending to the story. Now, I won't bore you with my ending that I wrote. It's not important. My point is, that's a good metaphor for life. Life is a series of choices. And yeah, maybe there's not a lady or a tiger in every choice. Some of those choices seem pretty minor. Should I get the number one or the number three combo, Right? Should I take uh, debate or art this next semester? Should I, you know, there are all kinds of choices we make that seem minor, but those choices all lead up to something, all build into a life. And many choices we make are monumental. How do you choose the correct way? Jesus tells us today, there is one decision, which if you make it, can change the course of the rest of your life forever. And not make everything go great, but lead you to abundant life life. Let's see. John chapter 10, verse one. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow and have it abundantly. So Jesus is using the image of shepherding, which was a very common thing in the ancient world. I guarantee you there were people in that crowd who either were working shepherds or they had shepherds in their family. It was a major industry in the ancient world. We, on the other hand here in Texas, we're not as familiar with it. Probably most of you have never raised sheep. I raised sheep when I was nine, 10 and 11 years old for 4-H. That means one sheep in a pen. It wasn't like this. Even if you're a person who raises sheep for a living, if you, even if you have a pasture full of sheep, you don't, you don't raise those sheep, you don't tend those sheep the way a Middle Eastern shepherd would because in the Middle East, they lived in the shepherd's field. When you were on duty, when your sheep were out in the field, you were out there with them night and day. And at night, you would, you would create an enclosure for them called a sheepfold, if you were very fortunate, you were in an area where there were caves and you would, you would guide them into one of those caves. Or if not, you would have to build a sheepfold of some kind made of logs or rocks or some other some other structure, but it would be three-sided with an opening. And that fourth side, the opening is where you would guide the sheep in. And because as a shepherd, you know your sheep. Jesus talks about this. You know each one by its name. You would know, okay, this one's limping. This one looks a little underfed. This one looks like she might be sick. You would tend to every one, you would make sure they were okay. You would get them inside the sheep fill, sheepfold, and then you would lay your body across that opening. Therefore, you were the door. See, next week, Alan's gonna be talking about what happens exactly a verse later, which is Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. How can can one man be both shepherd and door? Now you understand, the shepherd is the door. So what is Jesus saying when he says, come in through me and all who came before me are thieves and robbers? Who are these all who came before me? If you read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the prophet, several hundred years before Jesus, has a chapter where he says, I am angry with the shepherds of Israel. He's not, not talking about working shepherds. He's talking about the religious leaders, He's talking about the priests in the the temple and the prophets, the job of whom was to lead the people spiritually. And he said, you're not doing a good job. You're in it for yourselves. You're corrupt. You're you're letting my people starve while you're getting rich. And God says, therefore, I will become shepherd myself, which was unheard of. In the ancient world, if if you had enough money to own a flock of sheep, you didn't tend them yourself. You've paid someone else to do it. But God says, I'm going to tend my own sheep. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. But he's not just talking about those spiritual leaders. He's also talking about through the first couple hundred years before Jesus, and even in Jesus's time, there were a number of false messiahs who arose, men who stood up and said, I'm the anointed one, follow me to victory. And it always ended the same way. A little band of, uh, of warriors would coalesce around this person and they would go to war and quickly they'd be crushed by Rome and they'd all be slaughtered. And, and, and then Rome would get even more restrictive than before. And Jesus said, those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundant. A couple years ago, I was driving down Longmire and I saw a sign outside of a, a brand new housing development that was just being built. There were all these signs saying, oh, how great this place is going to be and we're going to have shuffleboard and we're going to have parks and we're going to have trails and we're going to have fishing. And, and one of them said, literally, it said, live here, life more abundant. And I thought, okay, that's stupid. <laughs> there is no house you can buy that will give you abundant life. Yeah, I'm sorry, that, that probably sounded really good in a marketing meeting. Maybe somebody couldn't remember that they heard that in Sunday school and it just popped into their head. They thought they were being really r- original. And listen, if you live there now, I'm not even gonna tell you the name of the place, but if you live there now, I hope you love it. I hope you're having a great time. I hope, you, hope you're glad you bought the house, but you don't have abundant life because of that house. See, there are, there are all kinds of doors in this world. All kinds of voices that call out to us. There are other religions. Never more than today do we have a plethora, a plurality of religious options in our country. There are politicians who say, give me your absolute loyalty and I will take care of you. There are celebrities who say, just follow me on Instagram and I'll show you the way. And then there are voices that say things like, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are on the inside. What matters is how you look. So give yourself to becoming a person of physical beauty. There are those who say, if you just make enough money, you'll be happy for the rest of your life. There are voices that say, you need to put yourself first find your goals and reach out for them and get them there are those who say violence is justified if you feel short changed you need to stand up for yourself there are those who say well, what matters is that you stick with the people who look like you and think like you and, and, and go to war against everyone else there are those who say life is short so do what feels good chase after pleasure because you, you know life is too fast and then of course the loudest voices today are the ones that say just be angry I mean, isn't there enough to be angry about, be angry, be loud, because those are the people who get what they want. And Jesus says, no, I am the door. Come through me and you'll have life more abundant. What does that mean exactly? What is abundant life? In verse nine, we see it. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That comes down to three things. Number one, You walk through the door of Jesus Christ, you find salvation. He will be saved. Now, if you didn't grow up in an evangelical environment like this one, the the language of being saved may sound strange to you, but most of us grew up with that. Most of us in this room and watching online, we could probably say, yeah, I was saved when I was this old or in in this year, or uh, we can point to a period of life. When I was in college, when I was in junior high, when I was newly married, I got saved. What does that mean? Because honestly, a lot of the people using that term don't really know the fullness of what salvation means. We think salvation means you go to heaven when you die. And that's part of it. And I don't want to shortchange that. But when you read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, that's not even the main thing salvation means in scripture. It means, first of all, you are saved from your sins. See, the world won't tell you this and your own heart won't tell you this, but you and I are born with a sin nature that is poisonous to our souls. We we are basically born with a birth defect that, that began with the fall of man, and that is this tendency to choose the wrong path, this tendency to do what we want at the expense of others. And every bad decision we make, every bad habit we fall into, every bad choice we follow after, every time we do what works for us, what our desires say so, no matter what it does to others, every time we sin, it brings us further and further and further and further away from our father who loves us and can rescue us and wants to give us abundant life. You know, the, the theme of so many movies for, for small children and teens and young adult, the theme can be boiled down to follow your heart, right? Just follow your heart. Just whatever your dreams are, chase after your dreams, be yourself. That's terrible advice. Listen to me. Yes. Be yourself. I'm not telling you to be someone else. I am saying the best advice is to say, if I follow my heart, if I am fully myself, I'm going to die because I am a fool. Because I have proven again and again that I can't make the right decision. Therefore, my only hope is to walk through the door of Jesus Christ and for him to take care of my sin nature. And that doesn't mean, guys, listen, that doesn't mean that if you get saved, suddenly you're this sinless wonder person that never does wrong. It means that you're born again. You're given a new start. And this time you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, helping you make right decisions and daily creating you into his image so you're better able to choose right. He saves you from your sin but he also saves you from the enemy. Listen, this is widely uh, unaccepted in the world and made fun of, but the Bible teaches that there really is a personal being known as Satan, the devil, Beelzebub. He's given tons of names, the prince of darkness. He's real. And yet the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about him. You know why? We don't really need to know about the devil. All we need to know is Jesus is stronger. I mean, If I'm eight years old and I've got a bully, I don't need to study the bully. I just need to run to my dad because my dad will take care of me. And once you come to Jesus Christ, the one who, who made it his mission to destroy you has, listen to me, zero hold over your life. If you are in Jesus Christ, he cannot touch you. He can Fuss at you, he can discourage you, he can tempt you, he can torment you. But listen, if you are a child of God, the only power the devil has in your life is the power you willingly give him. And that's wonderful. The devil is an angry dog who's missing all his teeth once you come to Christ. He has no power at all. And number three, salvation means you are saved from death and hell. And again, this is what we mean when we say, I'm saved. And It's true. If you are in Christ, as Jesus says, and we're going to talk about it on Easter Sunday in a few weeks, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, he will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You know what, a, what an amazing thing it is that once you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about death anymore. Whether you die young and beautiful or old and gnarly, I mean, it doesn't matter. You are going to the same place, and death is nothing to fear. In fact, It's a promotion. Paul writes, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. You know, I've reached that little tipping point where, uh, you know, it ain't getting any better physically than this, right? It's only downhill from here. And and that can be discouraging. That can be really discouraging until you realize, you know, every time I get a new ache or pain or every time one more of these hairs turns gray or every time, you know, one of those other fun little details of growing older happens all that means is, hey, I'm getting closer to my graduation. I'm getting closer to being where I've always wanted to be. And you can only say that if you're in Christ. That's salvation. And that's part of abundant life. Number two is freedom. Salvation, he will be saved, and freedom, he will go in and out. Why, what do I mean by that? Well, think about a sheep. If you're a sheep, and you're in that sheepfold, and you wake up in the morning, and your shepherd is gone, you're not leaving the fold. Because you're dead if you do so. Listen, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sheep are, are, they are not tough in any way. I mean, there are other animals that have claws or horns or, or sharp teeth. There are animals that can disguise themselves. There are all kinds of defenses that God has built into creation so that animals can protect themselves. In his providence, he didn't give sheep any of those. He just made them tasty. I mean, yeah. So sheep, don 't really have a way to defend themselves, and besides that, sheep are stupid. I'm sorry, I know that's not a good word. You may ban that in your home. Uh, kids, you know listen to your parents, not your pastor, except to say there's a reason why I quit raising sheep when I was eleven and I switched to pigs because sheep are just dumb. they don't have brain. Uh, you know, people I'm nine years old I'm, I'm showing a, a lamb at my 4 eight show and adults are coming by and saying, aren't you sad? You're going to be selling this off to somebody else. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be glad to get rid of this thing. I mean, a pig is an upgrade over this. And yet that's what God compares us to. God says, you're foolish. You're weak. I have to protect you. When you're walking with me, therefore you have protection protection from yourself and the bad choices you can make, protection from your enemy, protection from all the things that could befall you. I will take care of you. I will show you the way. I will go, you will go in and out, he says, if you are with me, therefore you can have freedom, freedom from fear. Doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to you. It means though, get this, The one who laid down his life for you is your constant protector. Do you really think that one would let anything happen to you that wasn't according to some ultimate plan, that wasn't able to be weaved into some ultimate redemptive plan? You can have faith. If it's happening and it's bad, well, then I know God's got a way of redeeming this. So you don't have to fear. See, there's this fallacy out there, even among Christians. Non-Christians will say, Yeah, I I like the idea of Jesus. There, There are aspects of Christianity that appeal to me. And maybe someday, maybe someday when I'm older, I will give my life to Jesus. But for now, there's just too much for me to give up. I mean, he's going to regulate my money. He's going to make me give a tithe to the church and make me be generous to poor people. And he's going to regulate my sexuality so that I, I can't just pursue those who I want. I'm going to be very restricted in that area. He's going to regulate the way I speak and the, the, the priorities I have. And, and I say to people like that, yeah, you don't even know the half of it. It's way harder than you think. Jesus says, lay down your life for me. Let, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah, he's gonna demand a lot from you when you come to him. But what you don't understand is you're not actually living in freedom now. You're in slavery. You experience freedom once you follow him. Like that sheep. That sheep wakes up and his shepherd's not there and he decides, you know, I wanna be free. Who needs a shepherd anyway? There's a, there's a wolf pack out there. I wanna run with them. Yeah, yeah how long will that freedom last? Think about it. An eight-year-old child, if you went up to an eight-year-old boy and you said to him, okay, we're gonna take your parents away for a month and you're on your own and he'd go, yeah, freedom and he'd stay up as late as he wanted and he'd never go to school and he'd never pick up a book and he'd just play video games and watch cartoons and eat Captain Crunch and pizza and ice cream 24-7. And, you know, that kind of freedom would be a lot of fun for a few days. But you know where it leads, right? You're not really sacrificing when you come to Jesus. It looks like sacrifice, but it turns out to be freedom. And the sad thing is there are a lot of Christians, including, I would imagine, a lot of our teenagers who had this idea, yeah, I really wanna be faithful to Jesus, but I feel like I'm giving up on a lot of fun. I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of the good things that are happening that my friends are chasing after. And I you know, I have to be a good little boy or girl and I just can't do. You don't understand the freedom you have now from the terrible choices you would otherwise make. It's sad to say, I know a pastor who he had to fire, this is years ago, had to fire a, a guy in his church who was a youth intern, a student ministry intern, you know, fresh out of high school himself, 19, 20 years old. And he had to fire him because one of the moms of of a high school girl came to him and, and showed him text messages that that young man had been sending to her daughter. And he said, what were you thinking? I mean, you've grown up in church. You know what's right. Why would you do this? And in tears, he said, I just... I got tired of feeling like my friends were having all the fun and, and I wanted to experience some of what they were experiencing. That wasn't freedom. That was destruction. That was poison that he was drinking, thinking he was bringing himself the fountain of youth, so to speak. Don't be deceived. The enemy sits at the, at the edge of the flock and says, come on over here, sheep. I've got freedom for you. Don't believe it freedom is found in following the one who loves you enough to die for you. Do you really think there's anything good he's denying you if he loves you that much? And then besides salvation, besides freedom, there's fulfillment. He will go in and out and find pasture. You know, sheep are pretty simple. All they need is grass, grass and water. They just need something to eat and something to drink and they're content. And Jesus says, you've got all you need right here. And you might say, okay, that's great, but I'm not a sheep. I have more complex tastes. I like a steak and a baked potato and a big fat wedge of cheesecake once in a while. And, and how, about, how about you know some good music and, and some entertainment and, and I want a, a nice house and a good place to raise my kids and I, I need some financial security and I, I want my health, body to be healthy. And listen, y'all, there are preachers who make a lot of money and become very influential through telling you, all you have to do is have the right kind of faith and God will rain all that stuff down upon you. And I'm here to tell you, God is better than that. God will give you not just what you ask for, God will give you what you need. God will give, God will answer your prayers the way you would have prayed if you knew what he knows. He's not a dog on a leash. He's not your concierge or your henchman who does what you ask. He does what you need and he brings you fulfillment. So if you come to me and say, Jeff, I've been praying and praying and praying for this one thing, a better job uh, to get married or for my marriage to be healed or for my my, uh, body to be healed or for my son or daughter to speak to me again, whatever it is, if you bring it before the Lord, if that's something you have to have, he will give it to you or else he will help you find joy in spite of the lack of it. He will find joy you couldn't find even if you got that thing. And beyond that, he will teach you a new kind of joy. He will change your desires. The longer you spend time with him, you'll begin to hunger for the things he wants you to have. That's one of the miracles of abundant life is it's not like you suddenly get all your dreams come true and then you become just yet another spoiled person. No, excuse me, non-COVID cough um, you begin to desire the things God wants for you. You begin to desire a relationship with the God of the universe. By the way, do you really think you're going to enjoy heaven if you don't find Jesus interesting? He's the main character there. Abundant life means getting to know him and coming to love him more than anything else on earth. It means growing in character so that you never again have to say, man, I'm sorry. I wish I hadn't hurt you that way. Instead, you get to see that person say back to you, thank you for loving me the way that you do. It means finding, it means finding the, the role, the unique once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-universe role that God created you to play in his plan of redemption. You have a mix of spiritual gifts and talents and experiences that no one else in human history has ever had or ever will, and God is, is planning to use that in you to change his world. And that's incredibly fulfilling. It's, it's in having the joy of seeing people who you know walk through that door. In just a minute, we're gonna see one of our uh, teenagers get baptized and we're gonna rejoice and people are gonna shout and clap because we should because that is something you get to be a part of. And that's part of abundant life too. It's your whole identity becoming wrapped up in the one who made you and loves you more than anybody else. And it changes everything about you and you find joy that the world can't give. That's abundant life, fulfillment. Fulfillment. You know, in that story, the lady or the tiger, we never find out who chose what, and did the man live or did he die? Did he go on to be happy or did he cease to exist? Jesus tells us which door to choose. Just like the princess in the story, the difference is we know we can trust Jesus because unlike her, He died in our place. You put Jesus into the story, what Jesus does is he takes the tiger so you know you get the reward. Jesus took the tiger for us because that's how much he loves us. And I am sure there there are people here this morning who haven't yet made the decision to follow Christ. At least I'm hoping there are some who are here watching online. That's what I've been praying for. And if you're one of those people, it says, yeah, I've, I've been waiting. I've been, I've been trying to decide what I believe about Jesus. Make today the day you change. Today the day you come to him and just say, I'm ready. I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to open that door and walk through the door of Jesus Christ into abundant living. And we'll tell you what to do next. And there are a lot of people here on the other hand who would say, yeah, I made that decision a long time ago. There's not a doubt in my mind. I chose Jesus. I know he will never let go of me because he says nothing will ever snatch you out of my hands. So I know I'm saved. The problem is I just don't feel like my life is abundant. I don't have that fulfillment. I don't feel free. I don't feel saved. What's the matter with me? There's a story that I've used over and over again. I read it years ago about this couple in Illinois, Doug and Sylvia Witt. Someday I hope I meet them in heaven. And I can thank them for how many times I use them in sermons. Uh, so Doug and Sylvia Witt many years ago got married in this little town in Illinois. And Doug, like any good groom, had booked a night in the best hotel in town in their bridal suite. And so about midnight or so when the reception was over, they, they drove to the hotel and they got the key from the, from the desk clerk and they went upstairs to the bridal suite and he carried her across the threshold. And then they turned on the light and they looked around and they said, well, this isn't what we were planning on. I mean, this looks like it was greatly oversold. It was a very small room. There was a couch, TV, chair, table, table no bed. What's up with that? And then the wife, the, the bride, Sylvia, looked and said, I think this couch folds out into a bed. And that was a little strange, but you know, they sort of had other things on their minds. So they decided, okay, let's just go with it. And the next day they woke up very, very tired, very, very cranky, backs were aching, terrible night's sleep. And Doug said, I'm going to go talk to that desk clerk. He's going to get a piece of my mind. And he went down and he started yelling at this guy. And we paid all this money for a bridal suite. You gave us a substandard room. There's not even a bed in there. And the guy goes, well, I don't understand, sir. I went up there personally and I placed the, uh, the bouquet of roses and the bottle of champagne and the, the chocolates out there in the bedroom and, and made it sure everything was great. And he said, you must have hallucinated because I, I saw none of that. Well, the desk clerk said, well, let me go show you. And so they went upstairs and they walked through the door. And he says, uh, you did go through that door there, right? And, and Doug says, no, um, we just assumed that was a closet. They opened the door, massive room, king-sized bed, flowers, chocolates, champagne, the whole nine yards. That's a picture of the life a lot of Christians live. Walk through the door of Jesus Christ, take two steps and say, okay glad I'm saved, but, uh, you know, I don't see any difference. I don't see any change. I don't see any abundance. You've got to actually explore. You've got to actually chase after him. You've got to actually live the Christian life to experience abundance. It's not about just praying a prayer and getting dunked or whatever your childhood church emphasized as the way to salvation. It's about exploring salvation in all of its aspects and making that the point of your life. If you haven't started doing that, it's not too late. Now's the time. Just tell him, Lord, I I want more than anything else to know you like I should have known you all along. Please help me to put away my idols and all these other things that I chase after and help me to just pursue you to live out life behind the door of Jesus Christ in, in all of its wonder. Are you willing to do that? Are you ready to embark on that adventure?